Good evening, ladies. What a good meal. And so I think we should give whoever prepared all that a good hand. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's really good. I am so impressed with everything that the City of Hope does here. Uh, every women's fellowship could learn a lesson on how to do women's fellowship by coming here. Uh, the dessert table looks great. I'm going to hit that thing in a few minutes. Anyway, getting on with why we're here. We're here because uh, one of my favorite people, uh, somebody I, I cherish, uh, when you look at the scripture, Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so another person does another. And then it also, in Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. And that is what Pam is to me. Uh, In my life, not too many women cling to me. (laughs) Uh, Usually they will come to me if they want to hear something straight up. But I have two people that I call very close friends to me. And that Pam is one of those people. Uh, Sometimes... Pam and I have conversations, and my husband says, I can't believe she even talks to you after that. But, but she gives it back to me, too, cause she, and that's why I love her. She is one of the people that I can call that will give me truth and tell me what I need to hear. And I know Pam has really sought the Lord. I know she is really coming to share from her heart. Uh, and I know she has something really special for everyone to hear tonight. Uh, Pam hit me probably two weeks ago, and she said, I just, uh, what have I got to say? And, I, and here's, usually I said, just be real. <laughs> That's my step, just be real. And I know Pam will. She has so much to share, and so much that the Lord has taken her through, and that she has grown from that end. And uh, I know you'll enjoy what she has to say tonight. Uh, Pam, I love you. You're one of my favorite people. I came to hear from the Lord tonight. And you've always been with me, and I want to always be with you. So I want us to pray and ask the Lord to usher the Holy Spirit into this place. He's been good to us in fellowship. He's been good to us in the food. So now let's just ask the sweet Holy Spirit just to usher in here and make himself at home and just speak through Pam. And let he who has ears to hear, hear and eyes to see, see. So church, wake up. This woman of God has something to say to you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful and so thankful that you chose today to give us another day of life. And God, as you chose to give us another day of life today, that means you have purpose for us today. And Father, I pray that as we, as a group of women, and as the church, the body of Christ, have come in this place tonight, Lord, we ask you to have your way. And we want to say to you, sweet Holy Spirit, let your presence and your power fill this place right now. Rain down upon us like you have never done before. Let your presence and your power go to each woman in this room. Begin to speak, begin to nurture, begin to heal, begin to convict. Do what is necessary, Father, so that we can find ourselves in good standing with you. Doing what we need to do, Father, tonight. To be obedient to what we hear you say to do tonight. And Father God, I just want to lift up Pam to you. 
Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you just flow through her. And as she stands as your servant here tonight with the message, Father, that you have given her here tonight, Father, I pray that you just let the words flow. I pray for fire to come upon her tongue now. And God, I pray as a woman of God, Father, that in the name of Jesus, Satan, you stand back. You have no right. You have no authority. Right now, in the name of Jesus, as a child of God, I'm calling halt to you. You stop yourself at the door because you are not welcome. And I pray as this woman of God stands up here tonight, learning from her mistakes, growing daily in you, seeking to please you in her life, Father. I pray that you use her in a mighty way. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place tonight. We thank you and you pra- we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you come, oh, here we go. This is for you, Pam, from all the sweet ladies up here at City of Hope. They want to show appreciation, and they smell good, and that they love you. And I'm going to give you the flowers. Give you the mic. You can set your flowers down. I'm going to give you a hug. Do you all mind if I stand? I don't want to be up on the platform, but I wrote my talk, and I need the, I need the, is that okay? Patty is right. She came to my house one time knocking on the door, and I told her she couldn't come in. (laughs) And she told me that she wouldn't leave till I let her in. (laughs) And it was raining, and I said, you're going to get wet. But she came in, and we had a great conversation. And um, she does say say some things to me that I don't like, but that is what a friend does. They tell you when what you have on, you look fat right? And not necessarily that that's what we talk about, but that is what we talk about. We get down to where where the rubber meets the road. And I'm a nervous wreck, so I appreciate that prayer from all of you all. I just want to thank everybody for inviting me into your church, into this place. I've come once when Patty actually spoke, and I was way impressed. This atmosphere that you have presented here is not for anyone here. It's for the presence of a king because that's who we're welcoming in. And I love that, Patty, because we are, when we profess to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit was sent to be our helpmate. And he is sealed inside me. And even though I'm going to talk about some things that I've done in my life that were wrong things, I still have no doubt in my heart of hearts, I know that where I'll be one day, and, and as I am working towards getting there, I just want always in a position like this that I'm stepping aside, and you don't see me, but you see him, because he's the one that I pull my strength from. Now, I do write my talk, and there's a time or two that I'm just going to freehand what's in the middle of it. To stand here and say I'm not nervous would be a lie. To, to stand here and say that I have something to say would also be a lie. But to stand here and say that I desperately wanted to call Linda, and even today I did, 
and say to her, I think you have the wrong person. I tried to do that even today. I don't think I have anything to say that even one person would be interested in is exactly what I wanted to do and almost did and had to convince myself many times that it would be okay. Maybe, just maybe, something from my life's journey could help someone with theirs. This isn't really about me, the I that I keep referring to. This isn't about any one thing, one person, or one life. It's about a God and his son Jesus who wanted to say something tonight to you, and he's using me to do it. You see, it's not about me, it's about him and how he will use parts and pieces of my journey, my story, and my life being unpacked somewhat here tonight to unfold and jumpstart an area maybe in your life that needs to be looked at, dealt with, unlocked, or unpacked itself. Let me start by telling those of you that don't know who I am, who I am. My name is Pam. My mom named me Pamela Sue after my aunt, and I was a Burns, and now I'm married to Larry Harms. I was born at the Oneida Hospital on May the 2nd, 1963, to my loving parents, J.L. and Dot Burns. They carried me, took me, and instilled church in me my entire life while I lived under their roof. I remember accepting Jesus in my life at a very young age, and I was baptized somewhere in the river there at Bullskin. But did I know God and who he was supposed to be to me? That's the part I believe that I'm supposed to talk about tonight. But first, let me go on telling you about me. I made choices and I did things that standing here tonight I know wasn't the right thing to be doing as a teenager. But the result of one of those choices, I know, was the perfect, perfect plan God would have for me and for her. Because the result of one of those choices came a beautiful baby girl and I gave her the name, Amy Jo. Before she was born, I married a man that gave me a son. We named him Brad. And I thought my life was complete. I was married, living and working at the Oneida Baptist Institute. We had two beautiful children. My mom was the one that took care of my children while I worked. Then uh, almost 11 years into my story, I once again made choices that would not only affect me, but would affect my family, especially hard on my children. The result of those choices resulted in a very messy divorce. You see, as I unpack my baggage and you begin to see the light, you can see that I've engaged in premarital sex Yes, call it what it is. Making mistakes because of my own pleasures. I got pregnant. 
And then I was married. Then I got pregnant again. And then I divorced. And I was only 30 years old. Now, where do I go from here? Because <laughs> I just admitted something in front of a large group of women that I have never in my 55, almost 55 years done. So you have heard me for the first time be real. I'm th I think I'm supposed to tell you about the two major car wrecks that I survived. The first one came the very day that Amy Jo was born, literally driving over a cliff headed towards the river backwards. They tell me we hit a patch of ice in the road sign saying dangerous curved, turned the car backwards and let us go falling down that cliff line, stopping at the bottom before plunging into the river. It was a tree no larger than that road sign that sent us sailing over that cliff backwards instead of rolling over the cliff. The doctor predicted that due date right because Amy Jo came 20 minutes after I arrived at the Corbin Hospital. <laughs> I believe God had legions of angels encircling my car that day. They're the ones that stopped it. They're the ones that turned it. And they're the ones that helped me, a very pregnant me, walk up that cliff line back up to the road. This was the first miracle that I can speak about happening directly to me and on purpose. The second one came on October the 15th, 1984, when my mom, Brad, Amy Joe, and I was traveling back from Alabama. Let me stop there and tell you that piece of my journey. Her name was Mrs. Sego. She was an old lady that wore lace-up shoes that towered well above me and she lived in a big scary house. Well, the shoes part is real. She did wear lace-up shoes. The rest was just what my little eyes saw when we had to go with mommy to visit Mrs. Sego. We'd go back to Alabama. That's where my mommy came from. You see, my mom or my, my mommy's mother had three little girls and she wasn't married. Living in Alabama in the 1950s, and life was very hard. Mrs. Sego took an interest in those three little girls. She loved them, she took care of them, she helped my mom more. And the part that's incredible part is that she wanted a better education for those three little girls, a Christian education. So she paid their way, made all the arrangements, and she sent my mom and her two sisters to the Oneida Baptist Institute. Miracle number two. Yes, I think so, because had Mrs. Sego not shown her light into my mother's world, sharing Jesus with her and her family, getting her hands dirty, making sacrifices financially by sending my mom to Oneida. Of course, that's where she met my dad. So you see, that was my miracle number two. Because of her love for Jesus, my mom met my dad, and here I am. So I am so thankful for a lady named Mrs. Sego. So now you'd know why I'd be coming home from Alabama that October day that my miracle number three happened. So now I'm gonna tell you about my car wreck. As we were driving home, we, 
stopped back then the kids didn't have to sit in car seats if they did I didn't have any <laughs> Amy Jo would have been almost four and Brad was almost two we stopped at Hardy's on the way out of Florence Alabama and I had we were buckled in at that time but they left something out of my bag I distinctly remember I had to stop and go in and when I got back in apparently I didn't put my seatbelt on about two hours down the road, we were in this little town called Columbia, Tennessee, and the, it was a bypass actually around the town, and the road was about like the Hal Rogers Parkway. The only difference is that there was crossroads that came across. We were, we were driving down that road, and Brad was sitting, he called it the hump, he sat on the middle and he was listening to the Littleton boys had just been at mom and dad's church. They had always attended Brutus Baptist. And they had been down at the church and mommy bought a cassette player. I mean a cassette tape, the little cassette tape. And Brad was putting it in and rewinding. There was one song called The Old Ship of Zion. And he probably played that for a hundred miles, just back and forth playing that song. And, but he got tired, literally minutes before we had a car crash. And he was, as he was climbing into the back seat, his hand was on my shoulder and he said just one word, seatbelt. And he got in the back, not even made it to the seat. And there was an 18 wheeler truck passing us. And I guess this truck that was coming across the road thought he had a clear shot. And when he got, when the truck got past us, that pickup truck hit the front of our car and it turned and hit the back of our car and it sent our car in a spin going back up the road the wrong way. My mom reached over and put it up in park and we stopped and we were sitting there in the middle of the road and I was just trying to get out to my babies and my door wouldn't open. I didn't even realize what had just happened other than we crashed. Mom had gotten out her side, and I was trying to get back to Amy and Brad, and I came face to face with the rearview mirror. I don't know if you all remember when that happened. It was in 86, I think. But when I looked at myself in the mirror, I started screaming, I've got thousands of pieces of glass in my face. Really wasn't glass. My nose and the whole left side of my face was crushed. It was literally gone, and it was just a big gap and open hole in my face. And I, that's as far as I got. I just laid my head back, and I thought I was dying. But I talked to God, and I said, gave me two babies. <laughs> And they're in the back seat. I didn't know if they were or not. But I'm supposed to be the one to take care of them. And at that point, I remember somebody holding pressure on my face and somebody holding my head. My mom swears to me that there was never anybody in the car with me. But I know better than that. That was my miracle number three. So now do you think that I have purpose? And by the way, the meaning of the word purpose is the reason we exist. So yes, I believe that the reason I exist 
is to tell my story, to shine my light, and to let go so he can do his work. Now to get into what my life has been all about these past years as a Christian, a true follower of Christ. It's about talking, doing, walking, and working in the kingdom, continuing to prepare, to prepare myself for the day the Lord calls me home, taking with me anybody that'll listen, and now I've learned to let go and move away from all of those who won't. What I'm getting ready to tell you may seem hard to some. It may not seem hard enough to others. Even heartless and cruel. You see my son, and don't worry, we're not going to camp there. I only need to share a piece so you'll understand where we're going. My son struggles. He struggles with feeling loved. He struggles with feeling needed. He struggles with feeling worthy. Therefore, I believe he turns to anything to cause him to have feelings. Anything. So I've struggled with his struggle. And I've been on this roller coaster ride for 17 years. Back four or five years ago, God gave me the words that it is well. And for years, I had written on my mirror in red lipstick, red for the blood, the words, it is well, so that every day when I got up and got ready, I had to look at those words. And let me tell you, and this is my version of where that comes from. And some of you that's close to me have heard this story, but I felt God wanted it shared to this group of women. But out of Second Kings chapter 4, it talks about the Shumanite woman. Those of you that know the story, just I'm just reminding you this is the way I heard it. Pastor Jensen Franklin is a pastor I love to listen to. I've got several pastors that I pull their iPods up. I put it on my iPod and I listen to them on a daily basis. I'm just going to stop there and say, I want to be a sponge. I don't know everything, but I want to know something. And the only way to know something is to listen to other people that know something. So I listen. I don't listen to anything, but I listen to Jensen Franklin. I'll listen to Stephen Furtick. I'll listen to my own pastor over and over. But out of Second Kings chapter 4, the Shumanite woman, there was a man of God that kept coming by her house, and she made a place on the rooftop for him. He gave her a son. And the son was out with the daddy working in the fields. And he got sick, and he came in and said, take him to his mother. And she, they carried him into his mother, and she, the, the son died right in his arms. And she took him up on the rooftop up to the man of God's bed and laid him up on the rooftop. And so here I go. Now I'm the mother. I jump on my donkey, and all I know to do is run to God, run to the man of God. Let's go to him, and let's find out what we can do about my son because he's dead. So you can see me, and the servant, the man of God sends his servant out and says, go out and find out what's wrong with Pam. So here comes the servant. What's the matter, Pam? It seems like something's wrong. And that's when I, she spoke the words, it is well. And then he would have said, well, what about Larry? How's Larry doing? 
and again she spoke the words it is well and then he said well what about your son and that's when Pam I would have jumped off that donkey and I would have stomped my foot and I would have started spewing death over him because I would have been saying everything that was going on in my son's life but she spoke the words it is well and her son was laying on the rooftop dead she believed that that man of God could heal her son God gave me that sermon in that way I just told you and he told me to be quiet to stop speaking death over my son just speak life and for four years I had those words written on my mirror but one day I gave up on that I believed that God wasn't hearing me and that's when Patty came in and had to bust my door down because she knew iron sharpens iron she knew that I when she was down I'd go to her when I was down she came to me and she knew that she knew that there was a period of time in my life that I had given up and she walked in and I said there's not a God in heaven I've prayed to him for a long time and he don't hear me he is not answering me I've had too many struggles and too much pain and I'm done with God and she set me down and set me straight so for years I believed those words and I spoke those words and I told this story to countless women but one day I picked him back up I was doing what I felt best to do and I'll tell you as my friend Janice She's a big old black evangelist. <laughs> she works at Beth's Blessing, and she is, she's another one that'll get right in your business if you don't. <laughs> she told me, she said one day, she said, girl, all I got to say to you is that what you say is I did this, and I did that. I need to do this, and I need to do that. And she said, I want to tell you that the I that I think controls mine and Brad's destiny is not it at all. She said, you have got to let it go. I really tried. <laughs> I even believed that I was supposed to turn my focus on someone else and I believed it was other children. Children of women incarcerated. So I talked to Larry, and we researched what we needed to do, and we were off on what I thought was keeping children through the foster care system of people that was in jail. After all, I can't help my son, so maybe somebody's son I could help. So once again, God showed me who was in charge. We were to begin foster parent classes this one Saturday. We were going to go every Saturday for six weeks in a row so that we could become foster parents. And um, I believed that my hands and my house would be full soon. On a Thursday, right before the classes were starting on Saturday, Larry drives a bus. And he had, was almost about halfway into his bus route and ran up on a really, really serious car accident. And when he realized who it was, it was the, it was the daddy of a, one of his families that he takes to school. 
turns out that they were really good friends of mine from a community that I'm involved in, which is called the Emmaus community. So let me tell you about that. Having just come home last night about 9.30 from spending four days in Sadieville, Kentucky, working with and praying for the Emmaus Walk of the Bluegrass number two, I, I had cried out to God, asking him to show me and renew my spirit of worthiness. I was attending the annual Beth's Blessing Banquet in Jackson County when I get a text from my friend Phyllis and she said, would you work the walk? And I text back one word and I said, when? And she texts back the dates and I looked at my calendar and then I sent one word back, yes. And then when I, a little bit later, I get a message from Linda. And she said, hey girl, I've been praying and you keep coming to my mind. She asked me if I would be the speaker for this meeting tonight. I looked at my calendar and this is the message and I wanna read the message, Linda, that I sent you that night. I said, you aren't even gonna believe that when I tell you without hesitation, the answer is yes. And the reason I know is that last week while attending Beth's Blessing Banquet, I sat with Tom and Chris Denman. They spoke positive, encouraging, and uplifting words into my life and actually was desperate the next day to get a book to me. The book's called Prayers for Prodigals, and I'm going to start teaching that class at our church in just a couple of weeks. While at the banquet, I get a text message from a lady that I've met through the Grace and Mass community in Corbin. There's a new chapter starting near Lexington, and she said she believes that God has called me to work that weekend, praying for 72 hours for the ones that will be at the camp. Without hesitation, I simply said yes. Not even knowing for what position she and God had in mind, I'll be returning from that 72 hours on the Sunday night just before this talk on Monday. And then Patty and I attended the Priscilla Schreier conference over the weekend and the words that was spoke were incredible. I felt like God orchestrated the entire conference just for me. I made a very tough decision to let go of something that's had a stronghold on me for a very long time. And I believe that I'm supposed to share with as many people as I can this piece of my journey. My hardships, my pain, but most importantly, my hope. God has definite reasons why I've walked a life mixed with much sorrow, sadness, and pain, and how he allowed me to walk in darkness to share and shine the light, his hope, into women who are and have walked my same path. So yes, Linda, I would love to share carefully giving God all the glory, honor, and praise, for he continues to lead me on the path towards heaven. That was the message that I sent Linda that night. When I made the decision to let go, God showed me the way to move on. He moved in he said, I'll move in my work, you move in my work, and I'll work in yours. I let go and he showed up and he showed off in my life. He sent me a book, 
He invited me to a 72-hour weekend, and he asked me to talk all in the same 24 hours. He showed me once again that I had purpose. I had to let go, and he moved in my life. And I realized after having now these two opportunities to share and to shine his light and back-to-back how faithful God is, when we ask, believing and needing his continued encouragement, after all, the Bible tells us to pray for all things. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and you can find that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Now back to the car accident. Me believing I was to foster children, I knew Letty and Donna had five kids, and besides the obvious, the car accident, I knew she would need help. We reached out to her, took her clothes to her to Lexington, and through tears I asked, what can we do? What is your biggest concern? And she said, the children. My mom's going to go stay at the house with them, and they'll still ride the bus, but several of them have after-school activities. And without hesitation, I said, consider that taken care of. She goes on to say that the first thing pressing is Andrew's track meet, and it starts on Saturday. The day I thought I'd be starting my foster parent classes, turned out I got foster children, five of them, (laughs) and I didn't even have to go to no classes. (laughs) Towards the end of that third week of caring for those children, I met a dear friend, Debbie. Debbie Gilbert is one of my dear friends as well. I walked in, she was on the phone. We were gonna meet for breakfast. I walked in where we were meeting at Cracker Barrel and she was on the phone and I heard her side of the conversation. When she hung up, I heard just enough to say when she hung up, what was that all about? It had piqued my curiosity. But then I stopped myself because she's a licensed clinical counselor and I walked into, I guess, what was a confidential conversation. Oh no, she says, that was a girl I'm trying to place with the family. (laughs) Before I knew what I said, (laughs) I spoke, would she be a good fit for me? (laughs) And that's all we said, nothing else was said. It was probably about two or three weeks later, I get a phone call, is this Pam Harms? And I said, yes, and she said, my name is, and she spoke her name, and I'm with the Laurel County uh, Probation and Parole, and um, I need you to pick up, and she said this girl's name. And I said, you've got the wrong number. (laughs) She said, I'm sorry, I was trying to reach Pam Harms. And I said, well, this is Pam. I sell real estate, and that's what I said. I said, are you wanting to buy a house? You know, I thought. And she said, no, I'm with the Laurel County Parole, probation and parole. And Debbie Gilbert gave me your number. And I said, oh, wait a minute, yes. I am supposed to be talking to you. I didn't know her name. And she said her name, and I'm going to tell you because I have her permission. Her name's Autumn. And she said, she's ready to be picked up. I said, Okay, when? And she said, tomorrow. (laughs) 
So I'm on my way to Lexington, and I picked up Autumn. She was 30 years old, but she was in a 13-year-old body. Because at the age of 13, first of all, this parole officer kept asking me, I, I don't want to leave that part out. She kept asking me if I knew who I was picking up, and I said, no, I didn't even know her name. It was never spoke to me. And she said, do you know what she did? And I said, no. And she said, do you want to know? I need to tell you who you're going to be picking up. And I said, no, you don't. And she said, I really think you need to know her history. And I said, I don't need to know her history. And she said, why are you not wanting to know her history? And I said, because God asked me to pick her up. And she said, I know that you're the right person to do that then. So I go to Lexington and I pick up Autumn. And I thought the first thing she would want to do is stop at Walmart. It's <laughs> what women like to do, right? I didn't realize that she, being incarcerated for so many years, that she would not want to go to Walmart. She didn't care what she had. But I wanted to shower her with nice-smelling shampoo and good soap and all the things that I thought she, I thought she would want. I kept Autumn for almost a year in my home. You want to talk about getting your hands dirty? You want to talk about making sacrifices? My family didn't understand. My Keisha's sitting out there. She can tell you how awkward it was at Christmas and at Thanksgiving and how Autumn would stay in the basement because she didn't feel like she could come. And we never made her feel that way. And Brad would go down because he felt like he could communicate with her. We kept her for about a year. I took her to all kinds of church services. I tried, to, I had dinner parties. We had Christmas parties. We showed her how to be a family. We sat down at dinner. We had conversations. We watched TV together. We went to Florida. She had never been. I did all kinds of stuff with her for about a year. My Autumn is living in Indiana. She's going to school to be a drug counselor, and she's got her two children back. So he wants me to keep talking to keep walking and keep working towards the day that I'll be able to be with Jesus. Don't allow anyone or anything to distract you from doing the main thing. There's some autumn, some autumn that's out there desperately needing a lady to encourage her, to guide her, to love her, to shine the light into her dark world. Or maybe she needs you to bring her into your home. Yes, it's hard. And yes, it's messy. But yes, it's worth it. I hope someday you can ask my Autumn and she'll tell you. What, it is, what is it or who is it that's hindering you from doing the best thing and the right thing? 
what is it or who is it that's hindering you from picking up an autumn? Running kids of a single mom, helping a grandmother who's raising her grandchildren. Don't let your idol, the thing that keep, that's keeping you from following fully and completely, the only one really worthy of following, I'll answer for me one day and just me. And I want to stand there and hear my God say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. And now in, in, in my closing, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. At the beginning of me knowing what God intended to be shared here tonight and trying to think of some kind of theme out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, let your light shine. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God is calling us to be Mrs. Seagoes into this dark world, to own purpose, to pick out, pick up, and to get our hands dirty. There is someone out there who is longing for you to be her Mrs. Sego. Take the challenge. I think Jessica's going to come forward now and take over. I just wanted to share just a little piece of how that I try in this dark world to shine the light, but not for my glory, for his. <laughs>